Hi, and welcome back to another week of the Geek Whispers. I'm Amy Lewis. I'm Matt Brender. And I'm John Mark Troyer. And we are here with an incredibly special guest and a topic that has gotten a lot of attention. But we have a whole fresh take on this topic with this special guest, Vaughn Stewart. Could you tell the four people who don't know who you are, who you are? Hey, gang. Thanks for having me on. It's my first time. I feel privileged and special guest. I hope we didn't mean like short bus special guest. <laughs> that might have been like a backhanded compliment. Hey, everybody. I'm, I'm Vaughn Stewart. I'm Vice President and Prize Architect over at Pure Storage. Awesome. So we are taking on one more take on the evangelist title, role, etc. And you actually had a very interesting comment about evangelism and your take on some of the conversations we've had. Is the title a role dead? What is it, etc. So kick us off. Give us your two cents. Is evangelism a role? I'm a huge proponent of evangelism, but I don't think it's a role. I think that we work with individuals, and, and many of you, right, running the Geek Whispers, you are a part of, of these evangelists in terms of your DNA and your makeup, and you connect with people who throughout this industry have that element. But I don't think you can make it a, a role. I don't think you can make it a title. Hey, Vaughn, let me jump in and explain to the listeners that actually you're speaking of a known scenario, not a hypothetical scenario, right? Because can you tell us what your title was for the first year or two at Pure? Oh, yeah. Fantastic point. I joined Pure Storage and accepted a, a title after some, you know, ballyhooing around that resulted in chief evangelist. To be frank, I didn't care what my title was when I joined Pure Storage. I was very happy to join the company. I love the technology, the leadership, and the direction. And, you know, the first year of Pure, when we were small, right, well, this was sub 200 people or employees when I joined evangelism was great, right? We're spreading enthusiasm and we're growing like wildfire. But what I had learned was the title of evangelism actually took the evangelist spirit out of me because it became corporate comms, official mouthpiece, you know, give the corporate line. What I found was having a lot of people asking me to communicate what they wanted said versus the things that really impassioned me and the data points that I wanted to share with others because it made me jump out of my seat. And look, we all work for a living. We work for corporations and we have to play within the rules that there are certain things that you can and can't communicate. And there's times where you've got to give extra effort and visibility to initiatives that the company maybe has moving forward. But when you're a passionate person and you just want to bubble over and have conversations, to lose the ability to have control of your conversation that for me was hard. That was a challenge and I had to learn how to deal with it. And part of how I dealt with it was I stopped going online. I have got to jump in here because this is fascinating. So you are talking about evangelism as a lifestyle, if you will, and when it becomes official. So sort of when the punk rocker gets the, uh, the music contract, the music dies is a little bit what you're saying. That's a great analogy. Thank you. <laughs> It sounds like that in, in your experience, and again, we can't generalize, but you found for you as somebody who's always been very engaged in the community, very engaged in any number of activities, blogging, just kind of out there in the community, talking, speaking, et cetera, with some free reign, because I always talk about it as advocacy versus influence, right? And the minute right. you're seen as an advocate, you lose influence. And it sounds very similar to what you're saying here. Again, I'll, I'll yeah. stick with that punk rock analogy. Yeah, that's brilliant. I mean, I'll, I'll put it in perspective right off. I had a fantastic career at NetApp, which is your new home, and I hope they're treating you and all our, our friends at SolidFire very well. And I had earned the right there. 
to be an evangelist, but that wasn't my title. That was my passion for what we were doing as a company. And so, you know, joining Pure and being a small organization and growing fast, you know, what I didn't have for me was that track record and that relationship with leadership and the executive team about, give me rope and I'm going to go swing on it. And most of the time I'm going to swing well. I, I may hang myself or choke myself every now and then, but in the long run, I want to build folks that are passionate or as passionate about the technology and the, what the technology can do in coordination with other technologies, what it can do for, for organizations and, and lines of business. Yeah, it's it's that evangelism needs that freedom to iterate publicly and with the possibility of failing or it feels less authentic. That, that definitely makes sense and feels consistent with our other conversations on the topic. Vaughn, I really wanted to ask you just to, to bring us back through the story a little further. So while you might have done it differently if you were going about it today, what were you reporting to organizationally when you were looking uh, at Pure, your current job? And can we compare that to where you were in your previous job? Sure. Yeah. I don't want to cast any despair on Pure and while we're doing this. It's, this is, this is on the journey in, in life's lesson. And I think, yeah. Let's do make that point. We obviously work at different places. And this is far not about the, the companies we work for. This is about what I like about what you're saying is this is behavior you can control. The only thing you can control in some ways is your own mindset and what title you agree to. So right. I think we should focus on that because that's, that's the stuff in our control. Yeah, so the, the way I would look at it is is this. I had a very strong relationship with customers and partners, not because I was the loud social media mouthpiece for my employer. It was because I helped these teams and individuals have greater success. And I did so by being judicious with what I evangelized upon. In other words, things that I had high success ratios, things that could really move the needle is where I focused my time. We all know that in any organization or company, their product portfolio, not everything is a top notch or delivers the greatest results. And, and that's where I tended to focus my evangelism was, was the elements that were the brightest and the best of the technology. And from a product perspective, sometimes that would frustrate product teams because they'd say, hey, you're not paying attention to my product. You're not giving it the airtime. And I would come back and say, I'm not seeing this deliver the same value that maybe you see. And as such, because I am a finite resource, I really want to go share the things that I think really move the needle. And at the end of the day, not just help our customers, but help the company by prioritizing on them. I think that when it flows out of you natively is much different than when you are being asked to present everything equally and you really shift into becoming, and, and I don't mean any disrespect here, but basically just another channel for your communications team or your marketing arm. Being asked to become an online commercial, if you will. Ruins your credibility. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't oh, yeah. anybody it's... ask me to do that. But yeah, you lose your audience. I have a large audience because I focus on what I shared. When you share everything, you lose your focus and thus your audience. I think there is a direct relationship between when you become a, a syncophant and, again, that concept of pure advocacy over influence. And yeah. the more you're seen as a one-note pony, then the less reach you have in some ways because you you have to say... It doesn't, it doesn't ring in reality. But just to kind of ask a question there, because you talk about sort of what your method was, how do you cultivate that mindset, though? Is, do you think this is something that's inherently in a person's DNA? Or what are some, you're a cyclist now, forget running, you're now cycling. <laughs> what, what, how do you cultivate? I mean, so it's discipline, right? It's a practice. How do you, how do you cultivate that? I'm glad that we've, we're, we've taken the conversation here, because I think there's two elements, which is how do you cultivate it if you're an individual who wants to be an evangelist? 
And then the flip side of that is if you're an organization and you're seeking an evangelist, how can you have a very impactful set of individuals that are evangelizing for you and building that mindshare and that fanfare within and bringing other evangelists into the fold to, the, to spread your word? Um, I think starting on the, the, the first part, as an individual, I think if you're an individual, you shouldn't seek an evangelist role. Social media gives everyone a platform. And so if you're an evangelist and you have that passion inside you, jump on the platform. And if what's holding you back is you're worried about your grammar or the, or the level that you communicate with, you know what? Iteration is the best way to develop a higher means of communication or a more fluent style of communicating. But you shouldn't be encumbered by any any means that you can't receive a platform. That's first and foremost. I would think the second step is you got to find out what your boundaries are from your company. Find out what you can discuss and what you can't. You know, that, <laughs> Do you recommend finding that out before or after? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think Vaughn's rule is to um, you know, always ask for forgiveness versus permission, but knowing what's not going to get you hauled into the legal department or the HR department is always a good thing. So find out what the, <laughs> yeah, the macro boundaries of- are. Show of hands of the four of us who haven't, who here hasn't been in one of those? Oh <laughs> my goodness. <laughs> that, that said, I like the differentiation, right? There are some soft lines in the sand where, where people would prefer you not mention things. But there's some cliffs underneath that sand, too, that when you cross that one, it goes to legal and then you go somewhere else. So good oh, call. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, think I've, I, I think I ended up in the legal department three times in that app. And once at Pure, so um, you know my my track record in terms of time still legal versus years spent at, a, at an employer is, is maintaining. <laughs> TTL, it's a yeah, Matt. It's perfect. We got some metrics for you. It all comes together. Here. It's a beautiful thing. To four the, times in sixteen years, so it's like once every four years. It's about the norm. So you do have a strong tenure at your last company, and you came in as an evangelist in your current one. So again, I want to go back to like, what's the org chart like? Because we didn't quite scratch that. And I think org charts, if we've learned anything over the Geek Whispers in the last few years, is that they tend to be the silent powerhouse, whether you like it or not, because it feeds into the value of the company. You're, so you're right. Org charts matter. What I have learned, and, and this is where I would caution anyone around taking an evangelist title, is evangelist, in most cases, doesn't have a defined meaning for those who have yet to work with you. And so when I joined Pure and I took the evangelist role, I joined into the product marketing side of the house, product management, product marketing side of the house, which was, you know, division within marketing. And what I found quickly is by having the title of evangelist, a certain number, whether it was, you know, customers or pars, VARs or analysts, for example, you know, they'd go, oh, evangelist, you're here to give me the pitch. Now, let me talk to the smart guy in the room, right? They would dismiss you outright. And at the same time, as new hires are coming in, they'd be like, Who's the evangelist? What does he do? Can I get him for my webinar? <laughs> you know, can I get him to tweet something for me? Right. And right, you, you start getting inundated with these requests going, this isn't what I do. If now, the word leverage comes to me in any email asking me to leverage any <laughs> anything that is not an actual lever, it's going in the circular file. Just 411 for everybody. Yeah. Now, now with that said... I don't think I would blame anybody in marketing for looking at someone who has visibility at, in another organization and saying, hey, we want that to be our evangelist. I think what is easy to misconstrue from the outside is to think that guy's online or that gal's online and they're very effective. They must be in a marketing role because that's not necessarily the case for me 
prior to nor now. As of October, I transitioned over and I'm a member of the, the executive leadership team for our, our field systems engineers on our enterprise accounts. And being in this role and being back with the field and being with you know customers and where you're having lots of real world where the rubber hits the road conversations again, you know, I'm percolating with wanting to get back online and, and share a lot of these. And maybe it's just the way I'm wired. Vaughn, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think the reason we wanted to have you on to talk about this, right, is, is is it echoes so clearly other conversations we've had, some in public and, and frankly, some in private. One is this role of evangelist. It doesn't fit in the org chart anywhere. You're not in sales. You're not in SE. You're not in marketing. Because it's so nebulous, nobody knows what you do. And, and in fact, there are very legitimate roles with that title that do completely different things. Like you said, one person might be a social media person. The other person might go to conferences all the time. The other person might be somewhere in the SE org. So that's one thing. And so therefore, the only way it really works is if you're kind of a, attached to senior management and you're just doing special missions for them, you're kind of a commando. That can work. But again, that's not a corporate stable position, right? Because again, who's reporting to you? Where are you reporting? If you get a promotion, where do you go? All those questions. And then the third part is all the evangelists I've talked to struggle with how do I stay technical and how do I keep talking to customers problem, right? Am I just giving speeches? Do I have a lab? Do I have time? Maybe I'm supposed to stay technical, but I don't have a lab or I don't have a week to myself because I'm on the road all the time. What you're saying is, is, is just resonates so much, but I, I love that you're one step ahead, right? Because you took the role and then figured this out and I'm like, okay, now I got to retool a little bit. So the long answer to your offhand comment, Vaughn, was that no, you're, it's not just how your brain is wired. It's a fundamental problem of this kind of idea of peer-based advocacy that, that works, but somehow doesn't fit into the org chart. You know, it's, it's funny that, you, that you've made that assessment because I, I think if your role is something like technical marketing engineer or a reference architect, right? So guys who tend to have labs or, or you're like a systems engineer, so you're still hands-on, but your customer, you know, all these roles are customer engaging. I think what your blog and your social media communication can do is actually help influence the rest of the team via an unofficial channel. Because if you are sharing tips, if you are sharing you know, an industry perspective, if you're sharing elements that maybe don't look great on the PowerPoint for the product itself, but has a really valuable element for some segment of your market, those customers or those SEs that run into it and need help, right? you're seeding some of the dialogue. You're teaching them how you would look at this and how they may need to look at whatever that scenario is or the technology when they encounter it. So I actually do think it can become a very powerful tool. And thus, again, one more step to say, have a real job, have a day job, but leverage the social media platform, not for your own initiatives, share it because you like to share and help people. And what you'll find is that will usually then make investments into your career or whatever the role is that you're in. It's so funny you say this because I just got wrapped up a few social selling sessions. And I think people have this perception that still there are pockets of the world where there's that perception that social is really pictures of breakfast and not that it isn't because breakfast is delicious. But <laughs> it is, I always say it's the extra credit kids who end up spending all this time on social media. It's not that they are not doing their day jobs to your point. They are taking that extra bit of time that they could spend any number of ways, but they find it. They find the extra time and they go do this extra thing, like you said, because they cannot help but share and engage the community. And to John's point earlier, and find that lab time too, find all those other ways to stay technical, to stay relevant, and then to share that which is, it continues that cycle of relevancy, if you will, that I think is so important. I have to naysay us. There's just this other element in an organization where 
just because you're good at it, just because you're the extra credit kid, doesn't mean you're allowed to be. And maybe it's a conversation about the scale of your organization, but there's real risk in being somebody who has an evangelist outspoken feel to you and you don't have the rope to go out there. When we were talking to Christina Marillo in 108, we came up with this phrase or I mentioned this phrase like being a geek that's allowed to speak. There's real power in knowing that you have the authority to speak as part of the team and you have some amount of responsibility and expected outcomes from that. Let's dig into that a little bit because I don't disagree with you. And I think that gets to the question of how we can control what we can control. But how do you make a difference maybe in an organization you're in? Because I think that begs that question, Matt. And you nailed a couple things there of if you're an individual contributor, do you have to go through press training to be able to speak in some of these ways? Or is that more harmful than good, right? If you're at an executive level like Vaughn, and there's a risk you can move stock prices, what's your level of responsibility? I'm sort of curious, Vaughn, what your perspective is on that. Matt, jump in there too. Matt makes a good point. And I think this comes kind of to the, to the heart of the conversation. I think your title can be evangelist. And you can have a responsibility to engage the press or to the financial investment community or, or maybe, you know, fill in for one of your executives. And, and I've been asked to do that in the past. And in those environments, you're absolutely giving the company line, right? Your, your messages are vetted out by your comms team. They're scripted by and large, right? You're there to communicate a, a, a specific and targeted message. If you want to carry that over online, that's fine. But is that an evangelist? And that's, I think, more the crux of the question. That, to me, is is your comms person. No, Um, yeah, I'm with you. I think that's not an evangelist. That's really poor understanding of what an evangelist role can do in your org. And that's either part of the organization's fault of not understanding how to differentiate the job, or it's part of, honestly, the person's fault to not differentiate their job. And look, I think we've all known brilliant comms people, so I want to make sure we're not offending any of them. I, I think having and controlling the official corporate message is a massive responsibility and undertaking. Totally. Uh, I, I think it's easy for comms-focused organizations to look at social media as another channel to communicate through. And you know what? They should leverage that channel. Ah, uh, you just, said the leverage I, word. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the duck came down. Yeah. <laughs> I think if you're asking for someone to be your evangelist in your, in your company, you should allow them to have the leeway to say, I want to share thoughts. I want to share perspectives. I want to tell you where the rubber meets the road. I want to share when we do something well. Maybe I want to actually step up and say when we did something not so well. And I've always looked at the, the, the social media followers, tend to have followers because of authenticity. If you can only ever talk about a product or a positive element of a company, something that's been curated, I think you lose the authenticity element. I think you become then a channel for communication. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that are very happy to do that role. I think if you're more engineering-centric or intellectually curious, I think maybe that's not the exact fit. And I think that's where I fell into a spot where I had lost my voice. Well, Vaughn, do you have any advice for a corporate team, comms or otherwise, who wants to add this personal touch to their communications? And I've I've worked with a lot of clients, right? And we have this discussion a lot. And sometimes the right answer is hiring somebody who is in the neighborhood of an evangelist, but we always have to have that conversation about exactly role and scope and reporting. But the real answer, which I think we've touched on here, the organic way is that, well, actually a lot of brave people step forward in the company with SEs and tech marketing and whatnot and start to have this authentic extra credit conversation on the side. 
the problem is I can't mandate that. Like from a corporate function, I can't say, oh, all the SEs are going to spend an extra 10% of their time on the, you know, on Twitter. That doesn't work. So it's it's a struggle from a top down to to define this role. I don't know what advice would you give to marketing teams that are trying to figure out how to add this more personal communications role? Sure. Being that we're in the technology industry, I, I think we can, this advice might not apply everywhere, but I ran a hell of a team a couple of years back at NetApp, and, and the team has now moved on with, with individuals that are, they're at VMware and Cohesity and Nutanix, and oh, I can't think of the new place where uh, Wade O'Hara and, and Fred Nix are at right now off the top of my head, but um, some of these guys have great voices, right? You know, you see Pete Fletcher, you know, doing the, the podcast on VMware, and you see Nick Howell over at Cohesity, you know, leading their evangelism and social media charge. And Was that a tech marketing team officially? Yeah, that was a tech marketing team back in the day. Uh, it should, I shouldn't remiss folks that also had nimble, nimble storage as well. But I, th- I think when you look at the organizations that do this well, which is when you're going to dip into your technology-centric pool uh, and say, I want to want to bring up evangelism, whether someone's tech marketing or their developer or their engineer, sales engineer, understand that that it's kind of like a 90-10. Probably 90% of your content is going to come from 10% of the individuals. There are people that I find that, that communicate and love to write. I find that there are people that have lots of ideas but don't like to write. The ten, that last 10% are the folks that both have a wealth of ideas that pop in their head that they also can then churn over into you know, podcasts or blog posts with regular cadence. And so identify those people and, and give them a form where you have ground rules to allow them to have autonomy to move forward. In other words, here's what's inbounds, here's what's out of bounds, and here's everything that you would have to come get permission for in advance. So what you're doing is you are enabling folks. I would then recommend some means of internally a way that you can have people who have great stories, but maybe don't want to write, be able to submit these stories and ideas, whether it's forms or, or other forums or calls, where they can help see those other people who like to write, but maybe are lacking stories to cultivate and get that story out, right? I mean, sometimes we have these great customer success stories that you hear about, but you know the people that are sharing with you just have no interest of, of getting online. But man, you'd love to go share that with somebody, right? So so feed the beast. I think if you build a funnel and you've got ground rules in place to let these people go do their, their thing, I think what you'll have them build is that these individuals will build tribes. And maybe that's the piece that, I'm kind of thinking this in real time, so I apologize here, but maybe that's the thing that the comms people aren't looking for. I think really good social media people have followers, and those followers are their tribe. Tribes subscribe to to the message. And I think you nailed it, actually, with the alphabet soup of companies <laughs> in our industry, because the point is, it's an ever-evolving place, and your authenticity rides with you. Your company won't always. You know, we're all going to change roles. Roles will change around us. A lot of circumstances change. And especially in a role where, like you said, if you if it all flows through you and none of it is your own, and you can't differentiate between when you're asked to be on message and when you're asked to be a technologist... I think that can be challenging when you need to evolve to that next thing. I, I think you put something really important out there. And, and I often joke, it's the other platform as a service, right? This is pause we're talking about. It's creating platforms upon which people can be successful and be authentically themselves. And you enable, you get things out of the way you enable. I like how you put that. They may have a story to tell. It may not be 15. So they may need to be on an episode of a podcast but not have to do the work of raising their own blog or raising their own podcast. Vaughn, with all that said, a lot of people are still very interested in that role and that title for a lot of reasons. And I think we've said with all these caveats, I I still question whether it's a dying role and the next thing will kind of rise up. But 
what would you say, what are some of the things one should personally evaluate if they still think they want to take on that title or role? Yeah, I think if you want to take on the evangelism role, I think you need to do some soul searching and get a clear understanding of the charter from the organization that's presenting it to you. I think if you have an evangelism title and you sit in marketing, you're probably going to be asked to communicate something different than if you sit in engineering. As an example, first and foremost, understand your charter. Second, then understand if that charter aligns to your personality and your passion. Passion is what, probably what fuels people to stay up late at night and to do all this evangelism after hours or the homework that you brought up earlier. But if you're not passionate for what the role is, then it's a task. And, you know, and if, if it becomes a task, then your output, I should say, is probably going to drop. And so soul search to what's the, what's the job and the de- definition? And then does that align to what you want to communicate? There's a lot of different skill sets in the market. You know, one company's role of an evangelist might be a corporate spokesperson who's online. There's probably a lot of people that would love to have that job. Other roles are going to be, you know, let's go be thought-provoking and share perspective. And that's going to appeal to a completely different audience. So, so, you know, for me, my lesson learned was I fell in love with Pure as a company, leadership and technology, and, and said, like, the role will figure itself out. That one was on me. You know, I would just hate to see others who fall in that trap. And, and I think as John brought up, we've got some friends who've fallen into that trap. I actually really like your point there. I'm not sure I'm backing off my concept that the evangelism role is somewhat dead, but I like your point that it is being used a lot of different ways. For instance, I feel differently about developer advocate and even the word advocate in that because you're advocating for an end user and not, you know, for one thing necessarily over the other. So uh, it's interesting. There's a words, words and titles are important. We've talked a lot about that because it helps you figure out where you fit, but they're not all the same. Yeah, words and titles have meaning. Well, and, and, and this may be, uh, you may have already told this, us this, but I can't resist our, our favorite last question, which is in doing that evaluation and figuring out your career path. So career-wise, what would you say to somebody if you're mentoring somebody? If I was mentoring someone to be a social media advocate, and I would title it that way, I would absolutely, unless they wanted to be corporate spokesperson, then I would ask them to go, go work in the comms department. But if they were someone who was passionate about their job and, and loved their job, but was just passionate about sharing it, I would absolutely advocate for them to get into the social media space and move forward. I don't know if blogging is the way to go nowadays, because it does seem like podcasting is becoming much more relevant. I don't know if it's the, the, the means for the medium to be consumed, or if maybe it's easier to, to record a podcast than it is to author a blog post. Well, obviously, but, this isn't going to be an easy editing job, so... <laughs> <laughs> what? I don't know what you're talking about. I wouldn't cut anything. Uh, that's that's why you're not doing the editing. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, a good a good manager and a good leader can get a sense for where their people should go and should guide them. And I think in this area, because of my background, I think I could advise them who I work for. But I would I would advise them based on observing their skills and traits. If a stranger came up to me and said who I didn't know and said, "Hey, I want to do this." I would boil it down to that just real simple question. Do you want to be an official spokesperson or do you want to share your passion? And if it's official, go join the comms team. If it's not, then go do it on your own and go build an audience. Go, go say something interesting and go build an audience of people that you can help move the needle for. Hmm. I love it. Good and simple. So Vaughn, if people want to ask you these and, and more probing questions, where can they find you online? I'm on the Twitters at vstewed, V-S-T-E-W-E-D, or at vaughnstewart.com. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. I know you uh, lead a a very busy life. So thank you for joining us from that airport lounge and recording with us tonight. 
Guys, thanks for having me on. It was a privilege. I, I miss all of you, and I can't wait to catch up with you all in person. Such a pleasure. See you at VMworld. Yeah, likewise. Cheers. Cheers. Until next time, Geek Whispers out. You've been listening to the Geek Whisperers podcast. Tune in on iTunes or Stitcher for regular stories of technology careers, cultures, and lives. Share it with a friend or invite us to an event through our website, geek-whispers.com. Find us on Twitter at geek underscore whispers or at Jay Troyer, MJ Brender, and Comms Ninja. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Can you tell us what is one thing you would counsel somebody never to do again? Never pass up an opportunity to be on TV or to have sex. Oh, wait. (laughs) (laughs) But hopefully not at the same time. (laughs) That's a life choice, too, I guess. (laughs) Those are words to live by, my friends. Uh, Round two? Is that your final answer? (laughs) I wouldn't cut that to save my life. Um, <laughs> see, that's what you can't say when you're the official spokesperson. <laughs> 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 so now you guys have to figure out what you're going to publish. <laughs> yeah. So career-wise, oh, I know what I'm going to do with that.